Welcome, and thank you for joining us on the Harvest Lakeshore podcast. Harvest Lakeshore is a redeemed family who loves God and loves others. For more info about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Amy, for sharing the word with us today. Good morning. You seem a little dark. Is that just me? or? Oh, there you are. <laughs> it's good to have you here today. <laughs> it is good to be here today, and uh, it's good to be able to be uh, kind of going into this week when we, uh, when we celebrate Christmas, right? Um, what, a, what a precious, wonderful week to come together and uh, just think about a Savior our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be able to celebrate his birth, to be able to celebrate uh, the reason why he came, and uh, what a privilege it is to think about that, to sing about that this morning. Thanks to the worship team for leading us today and for the songs that were selected. Uh, Great, great blessing and message uh, in those songs. Well, as uh, Amy read just a moment ago, we're going to be directing our attention this morning once again to the book of Ephesians. We've been studying that for the last several weeks kind of under the theme, in Christ and in community. And also trying to tie into that our um, identity statement that we are a redeemed people who love God and love others. So again, we're, we're staying with that theme and trying to see how God's Word sort of, sort of instructs us and helps us and encourages us with those things. And as we've been looking last week, and we're going to conclude it today, verses 15 to 23 of Ephesians chapter 1, Paul has been sharing with us some things about our prayers for each other and how we can pray for each other. So if I was to walk up to you this morning and I was to ask you, how should I pray for you this week, what would your answer be? Just think about that this morning. I didn't ask you, how can I pray for you this week? That would be a legitimate question, right? There would be nothing wrong with that. But instead of asking, how can I pray for you this week, If I was to walk up to you today and how should I pray for you this week? Or if you were to come up to me after the service and say, hey, Mark, um, how should I pray for you this week? It's one thing to say, how can I pray for you? It's kind of a whole different thought 
to ask the person, how should I pray for you this week? How should I pray for you? How should you pray for me? What should fill our words when we spend time talking to God on behalf of each other? Well, I really think that's what Paul is trying to get across to us. He wants us to pray for each other. He would want us to say, how can I pray for you this week? But maybe even more importantly, he would want us to ask each other, how should we pray for each other? How should I pray for you? How should you pray for me? From Paul's example in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, we learned last week that we should praise God for other believers. We should thank God for each other. We should thank God for the faith that we have in Christ, both the saving aspects of that faith as well as the practical outworkings of that faith. We also learned that we should petition God for each other. We should ask God to give each other a full knowledge of Christ, not only in terms of knowing who Christ is, but in knowing who Christ is and how that applies to the situations and the circumstances of our lives. But there's more. And so last week, we focused on verses 15 to 17. This morning, we want to focus on verses 18 to 23. And we're going to look once again at these verses, and we're going to continue learning from Paul's example that as we petition God on behalf of each other, what do we need to be asking God for? How should we pray for each other? Well, Amy just read it a moment ago, but let's read a little bit of it again, beginning at the end of verse 16. Paul writes, I'm remembering you in my prayers. Why is he doing that? What's he praying for? That, verse 17, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Why? That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? So after, after sharing with these Ephesian believers, these brothers and sisters in Christ, the Apostle Paul, after sharing with them in verses 15 and 16, the reasons why he unceasingly thanked God for them when he was praying for them, he kind of shifts gears in verses 17, 18, and following to not so much talking about why he is thankful to them for them, but why he, what, he, what he asked God for them on their behalf. And we learned last week in verse 17 that the first request that he has to God on their behalf is that he asks God to help them to fully know Christ. He wants the eyes of their heart to be open. Now, when we think of a heart, we think of that, that pump that's kind of in the middle of our chest that kind of moves the blood around our system, our circulatory system, so that we can get oxygen and nutrients to all the different parts of our body. But in the Bible, when it uses the word heart, it's not talking about an organ in the center of our chest. It's really talking about the center of our thinking and of our volition, the center of our mind and the center of our will. So when he asked that they would have a, that their, the eyes of their heart would be open to have this sort of full knowledge of Christ, he doesn't just want them to have a head knowledge of Christ. He wants them to be able to take that head knowledge, these truths about Christ, and apply them to the nitty-gritty of their life. Apply them to where the rubber meets the road in their life. Apply them to the realities of their life. So that's the first request that he makes to God on behalf of these believers. And then this morning, as we come to verses 18 to 23, Paul shares a second request that he makes for these believers. 
And that request is that he wants God to give them insight into three very important certainties. He wants God to give them insight into three important certainties. And that's kind of where we're going to focus our attention today. We're going to look at those three certainties that Paul wants them to have insight into. He's praying that God would give them insight into those things. And as we look at Paul's example today, we want to learn from him so that we too can pray these same things for our brothers and sisters in Christ, because I think God is teaching us that this is how we should pray for each other. So let's look at these three certainties together. The first thing he prays is this in verse 18. Father, give them insight into the hope their salvation has given them. Father, give them insight into the hope that their salvation has given them. Look at verse 18. He says, having "Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, why? That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. So Paul is praying in verse 18 that both the minds and the wills, the eyes of the hearts of the Ephesian believers would be enlightened, that they would be illuminated in, in their thinking as well as in their actions And really, he wants them to have an illumination and understanding of the hope to which they've been called. So in Christ, we've been called to certain things, right? So what hope does that give us? What kind of confident expectation does that give us? He wants them to be shaped intellectually as well as volitionally by the hope, the confident expectation that they have in Jesus Christ. So I think it's appropriate to ask ourselves, Well, what in Christ have we been called to? And therefore, what kind of confident expectation, what kind of hope should we have as a result of that calling? Well, let's just mention a few of the things. One thing we could mention is this. We have been called in Christ to know something and to experience something of the love of Christ, right? I don't think I can fully comprehend the love of Christ. And we can sing songs this morning about the ways in which Christ has loved us, and in in part ways, I can kind of get my arms around that, but I can't understand everything about that love. It's just too big for me, but we have been called to know something and to experiencing something of the love of Jesus Christ, and what is our hope in that? Well, our hope in that is not only for personal redemption, but our hope in that is to be able to share that love with other people, right? If I've experienced that love, the confident expectation I hope I have is that I will be able to share that love with other people. Another example, we have been called to understand something of God's holiness. Once again, there's no way that you and I can get our arms fully around the holiness of God. It's just, it's just too, too ginormous for us. It's just too beyond human capacity to fully understand. And yet, we have been called to holiness. We've experienced something of the holiness of God. We've come to see ourselves as sinners separated from a holy God. And we begin to see something of Christ's holiness and the punishment that he paid, the penalty that he paid on our behalf so that we could be cleansed from our unholiness and have a standing before him of holiness. So that's what we've been called to. Well, in light of that calling, we have the confident expectation that we can live up to that calling, that we can live holy and blameless lives, not perfect lives, growing lives, growing in holiness, growing in blamelessness, but because of the call that we've received in terms of understanding and receiving God's, uh, 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 an understanding of his holiness, then I can go out and I can express that holiness and live out and flesh out that holiness. Another example that we could use is that we have been called to know the freedom that we've been given from the penalty and the power of sin. 
If we're in Christ, if we're a redeemed, part of a redeemed family, then we are no longer under the penalty of sin. You're not under it, I'm not under it if we're in Christ. We're no longer under the, the, the mastery or the dominion of sin. We've been removed from its penalty. Christ paid that penalty on our behalf. We're no longer um, alienated from God. We are reconciled to God. So we have come, we have been called to this place of freedom from the penalty and power of sin. And the confident expectation in that is this, that we live out that freedom, that we flesh out that freedom every day, that we live in the power of that freedom, that I'm no longer under sin's domain, that that is no longer the master of my life, that now I live under a new master, a new Lord, a new leader, a new power in my life, and I can live in that freedom that I've been called to. Another example, we have been called to know something of the peace that we have with God. Outside of being in Christ, we don't have peace with God. We are alienated from God, separated from God. But in Christ, we are reconciled to God. We now have experienced something of the peace. Uh, we have experienced peace with God, no longer alienation from God. And because we've experienced in Christ peace with God, then in the different compartments of our lives, we can experience the peace of God. Because I have peace with God, I can have the peace of God at work. I can have the peace of God at school. I can have the peace of God in the, the circumstance of my life, be they easy circumstances or hard circumstances, whatever those circumstances might be. We've been called to this position of peace with God, and now we have the confident hope that we can carry with us the peace of God in all the circumstances, all the ups and downs, all the situations of our lives. Another example, we have been called to know the working of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When we came to faith in Christ, part of the, part of the, the blessings of that, coming to faith in Christ, is having that third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God, come to indwell us. And with that comes an empowerment. With that comes the reason, part of the reason he's called the Holy Spirit is because his work in us is to produce holiness to produce righteousness, to produce transformation. So because we've been called, or part of our calling is the experiencing of the indwelling Holy Spirit, then my confident hope, my confident expectation is that I'll see the results of His indwelling in my life. I'll see the fruits of the Spirit. We'll see patience and joy and peace. We'll see kindness and goodness and faithfulness. We'll see gentleness and self-control. So if you think about it, it's, an, it's a call to an altogether new life in which we know and love and obey and serve Christ. We look beyond our present sufferings, and we choose to shape our lives then by the hope to which he has called us. We have been called to something of his love and something of his holiness, something of the freedom. We've been called to all these things. Now I have this hope that all that I've been called to can be translated into the everyday aspects of our lives. So how does that affect how we should pray for each other? Well, again, maybe a couple of practical thoughts here. Perhaps we know of a brother or sister in Christ who is just feeling the hopelessness of, um, of temptation. Maybe they have been battling uh, just uh, one or two or a couple of temptations, and, and it just seems like Satan has them right where he wants them to be. And, and they just can't seem to find victory over those temptations. And it seems like each day they, they fall over and over again to those temptations. And the world kind of looks at them and says, well, you know, it's, maybe it's just an addiction. Or maybe you're just genetically predisposed to that kind of thing. 
Now, I'm not denying that maybe some of that is true, but that doesn't give much hope, does it? If I'm just genetically predisposed to it, then there's not much hope of change. It's just the way I'm wired. It's just the way I am. I just have to learn to live with it. But if we have been called in Christ, then we have a, a hope in Christ. And if we have been called to holiness, then we can have the confident expectation that Christ will give us the resources to live a holy life. So as we pray for that person, that brother or sister in Christ that we love dearly, that's struggling with temptation, we're going to pray that their minds and wills would be enlightened to know that in Christ, they have all the resources necessary for victory in the face of temptation. That's what we pray for. Another example. Perhaps we know of a brother or sister in Christ who's just feeling hopeless, maybe because, of, uh, maybe because they're struggling with anxiety, or maybe they're, they're struggling with depression. And these are very, very real issues, very hard issues, very difficult issues. And they've, they've, they've done a lot of reading on it. They've gone to the counseling. They've followed the treatments. They've taken the medication. And all those things have helped in certain ways. But there's still the ups there's still the downs. There's still the struggle. There's still the reality of that. And they, they, they feel hopeless. And we sometimes feel helpless as to how we can serve them and minister to them. Sometimes it seems like we're even embarrassed to talk about the whole situation. We just don't really know what to do. But in Christ, we have been called to hope. We've been called to a confident expectation that God will take all the realities of life and work them together for his ultimate purpose, for his ultimate glory, and therefore for our ultimate good. He doesn't say that all the circumstances of life will be good. He doesn't say they'll all be easy. doesn't say that it'll all be a walk in the park. He never promises that. What he does promise is to give us hope, to give us the confident expectation that he will take all these things and he will work them together to the accomplishing of his purpose in our lives and in this age. And he'll use them to accomplish uh, uh, the, the, um, uh, not, only, not only his purposes, but accomplish his, to, to bring praise to his glory and all of that. So we look at that and we say to that person, and we don't say this tritely, but we direct them to Romans chapter 8, verse 28 to 32, where Paul reminds us that we know in Christ, for those who have, who, who have come to experience the love of God, that all things work together for good. We know that those who are called according to his purpose... For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So how do we pray for that brother or sister in Christ that's struggling with those anxieties, struggling with that depression? Well, we pray that their minds and wills would be enlightened to know that God is at work in all things that God is working out his purpose in their life through the ups and the downs, taking them from predestination to justification to glorification. Nothing is stopping that process from going forward. And he's using all things to move that process forward. As we pray for them, we pray that they will come to understand and hold tightly to the truth that through all things, God is conforming them to the image of Christ. God is taking the ups and the downs. He's taking the easy and the hard. He's taking the, the things that are they're positive and the things that we struggle with. He's taking all these things. He promises to use them and work them to conform us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been called to that, and that is our confident hope that we have in him. So Paul says, here's what I pray for you. He says, I pray 
that God would give you insight into the hope that your salvation has given you. But that's not the only thing that he prays for in terms of insight. The second thing he prays is that he prays that, they would, that insight would be given them into the inheritance their salvation has entitled them to, into the inheritance their salvation has entitled them to. Look again at verse 18. He says in verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know, number one, what is the hope to which he has called you, and number two, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? So Paul prays, he asks God to illuminate their hearts and their minds, their wills and their volition to the inheritance that being in Christ entitles them to. He prays that God would help them to see and understand the birthright, the spiritual birthright that they have, and to allow that knowledge to shape all that they think and all that they say and all that they do. I mean, just think with me for a moment about the inheritance that we have in Christ. In Romans chapter 8, verse 17, Paul assures us that if we are children of God, we are heirs of God. And if we are heirs of God, we are fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. He promises us that one day that eternal inheritance will be ours. One day that eternal inheritance will be fully and completely realized. He writes as well in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man even imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So we don't have it all yet. It's yet to be fully realized. And we haven't seen it all. We haven't even heard it all. We can't even get our imaginations around all that God has for us. But yet Paul encourages us to focus our thoughts and our hearts on that. In Colossians chapter 3, Verses 1 to 3, Paul writes, If then you have been raised with Christ, then seek things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So he asked God on behalf of these Ephesian believers that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened so that they would know just how rich they are in Christ, so that they would know just the, the richness of the inheritance that they have in Christ. In other words, we have nothing more to seek. There's nothing more to be given. There's nothing more to be received. We have it all, either now in reality or in pledge, and we will have it all through all of eternity. So once again, we ask the question, what do we learn from Paul's example? What is Paul teaching us here regarding how we should pray for each other. Well, from Paul's example, we learn that as we're praying for each other, we need to ask God that he would give insight to our brothers and sisters in Christ into the internal inheritance that we have in Christ. We may be struggling. They may be struggling with uncertainties. They may be struggling with insecurities. They may be struggling by feeling marginalized by the world and the people around them. They may be feeling hopeless because they have little of the world's resources. But as Paul writes in the opening verses of this chapter, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So that's why we need to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ to keep our minds fixed. That's what we should set our minds on. There's a lot of yuck down here, right? A lot of difficulties down here. A lot of, a lot of struggles down here. 
This is a hard way in many ways down here. But God says, Paul says, was he praying for these believers, help them to have insight and not be so focused on the down here, but have their, the eyes of their heart enlightened to really realize what they have up there. And we're not talking about pie in the sky by and by. We're talking about the fullness of all that we have in Christ. Something that our, our eyes can't fully, haven't fully seen, that our ears haven't fully heard, something that our imaginations can't even get our arms around. But yet he tells us, he reminds us, he encourages us to set our sights on that and our hopes on that because blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. There's not a single spiritual blessing that we have not been blessed with. There's not a shortcoming. We haven't been denied certain aspects of it. It's ours in Christ. And as we go through this world and we think about how we should pray for each other, let's pray for each other that we would have insight into that inheritance that we have, that inheritance that our salvation has entitled us to. And so he asked God that he would give these believers at Ephesus insight into these three certainties. Number one, insight into the hope that they have in Christ. Number two, insight into the inheritance that they have in Christ. And then number three, insight into the power that their salvation has made available to them. The power that their salvation has made available to them. Look again at verse 18. He says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know, number one, what is the hope to which he has called you. Number two, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And then number three, verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? Paul prays, I want their eyes to be open, their hearts to be open, their minds, their volitions to be open to all the power that they have in Christ, all the power that their salvation has given to them. And he describes that power. He first of all describes it as a power that's in keeping with God's awesome might. I mean, look again at verse 19. Paul doesn't use just one word to describe that power. He doesn't even use just two words to describe that power. He doesn't even use just three words to describe that power. He uses four different words to describe that power. And he probably could use five or six words, but he only uses four. Look at the words that he uses here in verse 19. He first talks about the immeasurable greatness of his power. That word power is a translation of the word dunamis. We get our word dynamite from that word, or dynamic, or dynamo. It's a word, it's a word that refers to just raw power. Think of a, of a, of a stick of dynamite, a dynamite just blowing up. It's just, it's just raw, unleashed power. That's what the word means. And then he goes on to say that that power is toward us who believe according to the working. That word working is the word energia. We get our word energy or energize or energetic from that word. It's a word that refers to an inward propulsion of power, the energizing force of the Holy Spirit of God in every believer. And then he uses a third word. He goes on to say that it's a great might. The word great could also be translated dominion. It speaks of the ability to be victorious, the ability to be, to be conquerors. And then the final word is the word might. It's a word that carries the idea of an endowed power or an endowed ability. So what is Paul praying for these believers? And what is he encouraging us to pray for each other? Well, he's praying that we would have an insight of all that we have in Christ, that we have an immeasurable greatness 
of dynamic power energizing us with a victorious endowment of God's might. He just wants us to get that. We're not limited. We're not shortchanged. God hasn't somehow just given us a portion or a part. No, in Christ, we have this immeasurable greatness of dynamic power energizing us with a victorious endowment of God's might. So once again, based upon Paul's example, when we pray for each other, we don't have to ask God to give my brother or my sister in Christ more power. We don't have to ask that they would be given more power to do God's will or to honor him or to serve him or to follow Christ or to obey him. No, Jesus assured us way back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that we would receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Well, if we're in Christ, the Holy Spirit has come upon us. We have that power. What is that power? It's the power that he's describing here in verse 19. Paul writes later in this letter, in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, he writes, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we would ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. It's not a power that we need to ask for or need to just hope for. It's a power that's been given to us. It is currently at work within us. And if we still didn't understand just how amazing that power is, he goes on in verse 20 to 23 to tell us that it's the same power that God clearly displayed in Jesus Christ. The same power that God clearly displayed in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 20. He says it's the power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, when he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, above all rule and authority, above all power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet. He gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. So Paul prays that as believers, we would comprehend and appreciate the power our salvation has made available to us, a power that is in keeping with God's great power, a power that is in keeping with all that God accomplished through his power in the person and work of Jesus Christ, its resurrection power, its ascension power, its exaltation power, it's, it's, it's all the power that he displayed in the Lord Jesus Christ that's available to us in Christ. So when we look at what God worked in Christ, all that he accomplished in Christ, we have the assurance that he will be just as faithful and making that power available to us. So we have no grounds to doubt him. We have no grounds to, to question his, 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 his faithfulness to us or his reliability. Paul wants us to pray that way for each other. He wants us to pray, Father, give my brother in Christ, give my sister in Christ an enlightened intellect and a will-shaping awareness into the hope that their salvation has brought them, into the inheritance that their salvation has entitled them to, and into the power that their salvation has made available to them. Paul's trying to share with us through his example, this is how we should pray for each other. This is what God would want us to pray for each other. So once again in this passage, Paul is sharing with us how he prays for his brothers and sisters in Christ. And I don't think he shares this with us just so that we can look at that and say that's nice. I think he shares it with us because he wants us to glean something from his example. 
He wants to learn something from his model. He provides us with a model, a pattern to follow, and thus an answer to the question, how should we pray for each other? How should I pray for you? How should you pray for me? So once again this morning, I can't think of a better way to kind of wrap up two messages on how we should pray for each other than by just simply praying for each other. So we're going to ask the worship team to come. And on the back of the little handout that you received this morning, we've kind of put together a little paraphrase of what Paul is teaching us in the example that he gives us here. And what we want to do this morning as we kind of close the the message part of our service is we want to take that and we want to break that down into three parts, sort of three sections, and just take some, while the worship team is kind of playing quietly, we want to pray quietly, just pray kind of silently, and we want to take Paul's example and once again, pray the way Paul prayed. Use Paul's example as the way we should pray for each other. So maybe if you were here last Sunday or, or maybe you were watching it in real time at home or, or maybe you had the chance to, to tune in throughout the week and catch it once it was posted online or maybe you're, you're here this morning or maybe, again, you're watching it real time at home or maybe, again, you say, well, I couldn't tune in until Tuesday or Wednesday. You can still do this. You don't have to be here, all right? But what we want to do is we want to learn from the Apostle Paul. We want to learn from, from his example. And so maybe as we've been thinking about this topic in the last two weeks, you know, maybe the Lord has just kind of put somebody on your heart. Maybe it's somebody you've been praying for for a while, you know, a brother or sister in Christ. Uh, Maybe you walked in the door this morning and you just uh, happened to see that person or or another person as you walked in the door, or maybe you, you know something of what they're going through and the Lord just sort of put them on your heart this morning, and we want to pray for that person this morning. Maybe it's the person to your left. Maybe it's the person you're right. Maybe it's the person in front of you or behind you. But again, using Paul's example, we want to to do this this morning. We want to practice this this morning. So we're going to break it down into three parts. First part we want to pray is this. We want to thank God for that brother or sister in Christ. We want to thank God for the faith that they have in Christ, a faith that has saved them of faith that they are, they are fleshing out, living out, and practicing each day. And we want to thank God for the love that they have for us because we're not always very easy to love. We can be difficult to love at, at, at different times. So let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and let's just think about that brother, that sister in Christ. Maybe there's one of them, maybe a couple of them that God puts upon our heart. And let's just thank God for their faith. Let's just thank God for their love this morning. Let's just pray together. thank God for them, let's transition to what we would want to ask God on their behalf, for them, their behalf. Let's ask God to help them to know Christ in all his fullness and to see how that knowledge of Christ should be transformative in their life. Maybe that they would see Christ as their good shepherd, 
They would see Christ as, as their Prince of Peace. They would see Christ as their High Priest, see Christ as their Wonderful Counselor. Let's just ask God today to give them a fullness of knowledge of all that Christ is and how that should be lived out or could be lived out in their life. Let's ask God for that on their behalf. Let's pray. ask God for that brother or sister in Christ that God would give them an enlightened mind and will to know the hope that they have in Christ to know the inheritance that they have in Christ to know the power that they have in Jesus Christ so whatever it is that we know that they're walking through or wrestling with that God would give them hope that he would help them to fix their eyes on these heavenly realities to know the power that is theirs, a power that is according to God's power, a power that is like the power that God worked in Christ. Let's ask God for that this morning. thank you this morning that you not only call us to pray for each other, but you give us instruction. You give us direction. You give us help in how we should pray for each other. Father, we thank you for Apostle, the Apostle Paul recording for us how he prayed for these brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ at Ephesus that he loved dearly. People that he had invested several years of his life with he shares with them, I'm so thankful for you, I'm thankful for your faith, thankful for your love. And as I pray for you, I pray that you would come to know Christ fully and that you would have clear understanding and insight into the hope that you have in Christ, the glorious inheritance that is yours and the power that is yours. So, Father, we, we ask that we would take these things that we've learned from this passage last week and this week that we would take them with us in the weeks to come. And as we, as we are reminded of different things that we should be praying for and regarding our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would take Paul's example and that we would use his example, use his pattern, and pray in ways that, that you have called us to and would want us to. In Christ's name we do pray. Thank you again for joining us on the Harvest Lakeshore podcast. If you have found this content helpful, consider sharing the episode with friends or leave us a rating and review. For more info about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. You are loved.